Now, someone up front said, when I asked them what they were going to do today or weather like this, someone said, boring. Does anyone else agree with that sentiment? <laughs> I would absolutely love nothing more than a boring day. Does anyone else agree with me? Oh, that just sounds like a dream, to have just a boring day lounging in the sun with nothing to do, no activity. I would love that right now. I haven't had one of those days in a while, so we'll see how today goes. I don't know if it's going to be boring, though. I think there's already activity planned. Nonetheless, this, uh, this beautiful, absolutely gorgeous day God's given us is for our enjoyment. Whether you're having a boring day, uh, a day packed with activity, with family, with friends, I hope that you're enjoying this Lord's Day and uh, with hearts full of thankfulness for what God has given us. Would you bow with me now once more as we hear from God's Word? Father in heaven, would you please just tune our hearts to be a little bit more thankful for all of the many wonderful things you've given to us. This world, uh, this beautiful day, this, this nation, we've acknowledged all of these things, Lord. How about in the spiritual realm? What have you blessed us with there, Lord? You've blessed us with salvation, that, that the sting of death is gone, the curse has been removed, that we can linger at the the graveside of a loved one who's gone on and, and not feel uh, a sadness that they're gone, but instead an anticipation that they're with you and someday will be reunited. What a blessing. What a gift. We thank you, Lord, that in addition to salvation, you have blessed us with every spiritual gift. You have given us what we need to serve you, to love others with the love you've given us, to build up the church, the body of Christ. And in all of these things, Lord, we just we are so undeserving And yet you have blessed us with them, and so we thank you. And may we use your blessings the way you have designed them to be used, to build up your church, to bless one another, to bless your name and make a difference in this nation and in this world so that others may know you as well. And so, Lord, as we hear from your word today, as we are reminded of the foundations of Canada, I pray, Lord, that you would work in this land and speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today as we continue to celebrate Canada's 150th birthday since Confederation, pop quiz, what day was it, what day and year did Confederation take place? The day you should know, right? Anyone want to take a shot at the year? Good job, you guys have been listening. July 1st, 1867. Let's have another quiz. Do you know what what, uh, act was signed that, what was the name of the, the documents that were signed on July 1st, 1867? Anyone? Put, your, put a hand up, I'm sorry. Leave it to the principal to get it right, because if she got it wrong, she'd never live it down. Good job. <laughs> That's right, the British North America Act. And it united the three separate colonies of the province of Canada, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick, into a single nation within the British Empire called the Dominion of Canada. Now what many Canadians don't know today, and something that you certainly won't hear about on the CBC News, the Dominion of Canada was very deliberately, intentionally established upon Judeo-Christian biblical principles as one nation under God's sovereign rule. Now last Sunday, we looked at Jesus' parable of the wise man, who built his house upon the rock, and then the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And we learn the incredible importance of having a firm foundation built upon Jesus Christ and the word of God. 
Now, the founding fathers of Confederation knew this principle well, and they did just that when they laid the foundations of Canada. So let me just highlight for you today one key way that a godly foundation was laid at Canada's Confederation. And that is this. Jesus Christ was acknowledged as Lord and Savior of Canada in its name on the day it was founded, the Dominion of Canada. Now this may surprise many of you, as you might recall, you may or may not recall those old Canadian Heritage TV commercials that used to air on, on CBC Uh, You might recall the one that showed how in 1535, French explorer Jacques Cartier was first exploring the land, and he came uh, came across a tribe of Iroquois First Nations. And there, the chieftain invites Cartier to come to his village, or Kanata, as they call it. Now, while they are uh, sharing Uh, This back and forth, there's a man at Cartier's side who claims that he can translate what the chieftain is saying. And so as the chieftain continues to refer to his village to say, Kanata, come to his village, the man at his side replies, he is saying, this nation's name is Canada. And at this, a young explorer behind them interrupts. Big pardon, sir, but the word he used, I really think it means those houses down there. But the advisor rebuffs this and firmly declares, No, I know this word. It means nation, and Canada is its name. Well, Cartier accepts this translation, but as they head towards the village, the young explorer is heard saying, But I'm sure it means the houses, the village. And it cuts from the scene. Does anyone remember that commercial? Yeah, quite a few of you do. Now, just to be clear... It is not the Iroquois word Canada that acknowledges Jesus as Lord of our land, but the title that comes first, the Dominion of Canada. This title was taken directly from Psalm 72, verse 8, which reads, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, who is the he being referred to? Well, it's none other than Jesus Christ. For as I said earlier, Psalm 72 is a messianic psalm prophesying the coming reign of Jesus Christ over all the earth. And the connection to this verse was made by a man named Sir Samuel Leonard Tilly, then Premier of New Brunswick, who was one of the 33 fathers of Confederation and a born-again Christian. These 33 men had gathered in Charlestown to discuss and draft the terms of the British North America Act. There were many suggestions on what to call this new United Canada. Many different names. Uh, The list is too long for me to name them all, but I picked some of them for you to hear some of the suggestions. New Albion, uh, Cabotia, as in, uh, I think it was John Cabot, the explorer. They were going to name it after him, Cabotia, Superior, Transatlantica, and Ursalia, just to name a few. Imagine if we lived in Ursalia. Try that on for size. Now, still still pondering all of these different names that were being suggested and thrown out there, Sir Tilly awoke the morning of the meeting, and as was his custom, he started his day with prayer and reading of scripture. He felt that before he tended to the business of running the country, he must first attend to the business of his own soul. And as he read from God's word that morning, his heart and his eyes were drawn to Psalm 72 and verse 8, He shall have dominion from sea to sea. The thought immediately occurred to him. 
What a splendid name. And Sir Tilly, already convinced that the new nation be established under God, excitedly came down to the conference session that day, and he gave his proposal based upon Psalm 72, verse 8, the Dominion of Canada. The other 32 founding fathers loved the idea. Immediately, they latched onto it, and quickly they agreed and unanimously passed his biblically inspired name for the new nation, the Dominion of Canada. A letter signed by Canada's first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, explained to Queen Victoria that the name was, quote, a tribute to the principles they earnestly desired to uphold. Make no mistake, though many in our nation today would say Canada is a secular nation that no longer acknowledges God, Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords over this land. For his dominion is still from sea to sea. For as it was at the founding of the ancient nation of Israel during the days of Moses, God's name was invoked and his rule was established at the founding of the dominion of Canada. There is something powerful about that. It wasn't just happenstance that they decided to call this nation the dominion of Canada. They deliberately, intentionally chose it to be under God. They invoked his name and his rule. And so here we are 150 years later. Men may ignore this story, men may ridicule it, scoff at it, or just forget about it altogether. But does God forget? Does God forget when his name is invoked? Does God forget when a people say, you are Lord over this land? Does God have a short memory? Does it get foggy with time? No, it's crystal clear. 150 years later, from God's perspective, absolutely nothing has changed. This land is still under his dominion and his rule. Now, if we, his subjects, choose to rebel against his rule, that's another matter. But God is still on the throne. He hasn't gotten up and given it to anyone else. He is still Lord of this land. Now, if we return to Psalm 72 and look at just a few of the promises made to those who live under God and under his rule we will see that Canada has been the recipient of a great many of them. Of course, none of these will be fulfilled perfectly until Jesus returns to establish his reign upon earth. But we can see the foreshadowing of that day in our own nation. So turn back to Psalm 72 with me, and let's take a look at just a few of the verses there. Here's some of the promises to those who will live under God's rule. Number one, the poor will receive justice. Verse 2 says, he will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Now, the legal system in Canada was established almost entirely on biblical principles. One of the chief cornerstones being that there should be equal justice for all. That rich or poor, no matter what standing or social, socioeconomic class you came from, everyone would be treated fairly under the law. There is equality for all according to the law of Canada. In the majority of countries around the world, this is simply not the case. Justice is only for those who can afford it. The poor simply have no chance. Now, of course, we could readily say that Canada is certainly far from perfect in this regard. But when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, we can still expect justice to be equal for all through our court system. The second thing we see is that the poor are cared for. 
Verse 4 says, he will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy. Now, though some of us will complain about those on welfare or social assistance, say what you will, but the reality is that there is no better nation on earth to be poor in than the nation of Canada. Think about it, that the poor of Canada in many other nations of earth would be considered the wealthy. And the chief reason for this is because Christians here in Canada, for over, well over 150 years, have taken Jesus' teaching of taking care of the needy seriously. And the church has always been at the vanguard of this. And the result has been a wide variety of programs, including those by the government, that care for the needy, and especially the children, so that no one has to starve in this land. It is an incredible gift that this land has been given. Thirdly, there is peace in the land. Verse 7 says this, In his days the righteous shall flourish, and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. The last armed conflict to take place on Canadian soil was the Battle of Loon Lake between the Northwest Mounted Police and a band of the Plains Cree on June 3, 1885. And though Canadians have gone overseas to fight in other wars, for an incredible 132 years, no warfare has taken place on the soil of this vast land. Very few other nations of this world have had peace and security from violence for as long as we have. You know, one could almost say that the prayer sent to heaven every time we sing our national anthem is being answered. When we sing, as we did this morning, God keep our land. It's a prayer. That's what I love about our national anthem is that there's a prayer right at the heart of it. God keep our land glorious and free. Is that prayer not being answered right now in our time? I believe it is. And I believe that whenever we sing that song as citizens of Canada, even those who don't take those words seriously, God hears them. And it's amazing that we have a prayer at the heart of our national anthem. God, keep our land. Having recently received refugees into our community who experienced what war really is, who were forced to flee from the threat of violence, hearing their stories has made me realize just how much I have taken the peace of this land for granted. And I am so thankful that multiple generations of Canadian children, including now my own, can be raised in a land where seeing men come down the road with guns does not strike fear into their hearts. Make no mistake about it, this is a blessing from God that we have peace in our land. Fourthly, there is prosperity in the land. In verse 16, the farmers will love this verse. It says this, There will be an abundance of grain in the earth. An abundance, not just a little bit, but an abundance. And the farmers present here today know this one very well. Today, Canada is the sixth largest producer of grain in the entire world. And it is the third largest producer of wheat of all the nations of the earth. It's why the Canadian prairies are called the breadbasket of the world. And we could go on, but the bottom line is this. The dominion of Canada was established upon God's word, under God's rule, and has been blessed extravagantly, undeservedly, as a result. But 150 years later, that godly foundation has been eroded. 
We don't know how far it's been eroded, but I believe it's been eroded to the brink of collapse. As systematically, God and his word have been removed from government, from education, and from society at large. Only the church remains to stand in the gap. But even we see many churches compromising the word of God to fit in with the opinions of those who have rejected God and his word. And I truly believe that it is only by the mercy and the incredible patience and long-suffering of God that Canada's foundation is still holding, and that this nation remains one of the greatest lands of freedom, peace, and prosperity on this planet. But this cannot and will not go on forever. The old saying, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. God's long-suffering and mercy is for the purpose of repentance, to give people every opportunity to turn from their rebellion towards him, believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and to escape the wrath that is to come. People mistake God's patience for his blessing on how they are living. But it's not. His patience is unto repentance. And as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, they thought everything's going along fine. There's no judgment coming. This must mean we're living okay. But that's not what it meant. In the days of Noah, the world had completely rejected God. The scriptures tells us that it had become perverse and was filled with endless violence. Then for 120 years, as Noah and his sons built the ark, Noah preached to the people, repent, repent. The flood of God's judgment is coming to wash away the wicked. But did anyone listen? Did anyone heed the warning? For 120 years Noah preached and built that boat and nothing changed. And the people were washed away. In the days of Jeremiah, the prophet, he told the people of Israel, God has told me that unless the people of Judah repent of their evil ways and wholeheartedly return to obeying him, this city will soon become a place that will be spoken of only with scorn, ridicule, and contempt. And for years, no one heeded Jeremiah's warning until finally the day came, the Babylonian army marched, and the people were enslaved. In the days of the Lord Jesus' ministry upon this earth, When presented with a demon-possessed boy in Matthew 17, verse 17, Jesus said to the people, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And then despite having their long-awaited miracle-working Messiah right in front of them, the Jewish nation rejected him, killed him, and 70 years later, just as Jesus had prophesied, The Roman army besieged Jerusalem, raising the city to the ground. Not one stone left upon another, and the few survivors who escaped were scattered to the nations for the next 1,900 years. My friends, do not mistake the current peace and prosperity we are experiencing in our land as God being pleased with us collectively turning our backs on him and his word. What we are enjoying today is the unmerited favor of God's patience and mercy. But as with all other nations who have gone before us, we are not exempt from the consequences of sin and rebellion against God. So as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who take his word seriously, what can we do? When we see so much turning against God in our land, what can we do about it? Well, thankfully the scripture has 
many instructions for us in this regard, and so we're going to keep it simple this morning. The first one has to be this. We have to start taking God's word seriously again. For too long, we've given lip service to God's word and what it says about wickedness and God's coming judgment upon it. But we have to take it seriously when God says he will judge wickedness. So let's take it seriously and let's read words like 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 and then follow what it says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You see, the key to this nation's future does not belong to the non-believing world, but to the church. This verse is talking to my people, God's people. In all ages past, God's redemptive work in this world begins not with those who don't know him, but with those who do. And God says, if my people who are called by my name, in case you didn't realize it, we are Christians, Christ is in that name. If my people who are called by my name, you see, the healing that Canada needs so desperately hinges not upon the unbelieving population, but upon those who believe. And this healing starts not with great deeds. It doesn't say in this passage to go out and preach on the the hilltops. That's what we would think it would say, but it doesn't. It says, start with repentance. Turn from your wicked ways in humility. We have to humble ourselves. This is the first step. Humility, repentance of our own sinfulness, and then prayerfully seeking God's face to intervene on behalf of our nation. So let me ask you, are you praying for this nation and for your leaders? Are you praying for revival to take place in this land? I confess that though I pray for this, it's not as often or as fervently as I sometimes should. And the Bible, of course, commands us explicitly to pray for those in authority over us. And I have to say, I've realized that whenever it comes time to pray for our Prime Minister, and you'll have to forgive me for being a little too honest, but one of the things that is a barrier to me is sometimes I don't expect anything to change. And no, I'm not telling you who to vote for either. Just saying it. But when you pray for our land, and we pray for our leaders, and we pray for our neighbors, let me ask, do we actually expect anything to change? Do we anticipate God to do something when we lift our voice to him? I love the the true story, at least it's supposedly a true story, of a small town in Kentucky whose only distinction was that they had two churches and one whiskey distillery, which was owned by an avowed atheist. Well, it seems that one night the people from the two churches called a special prayer meeting and they spent the night there praying that the distillery would close down. And shortly after midnight, a storm blew in. Lightning struck the distillery and it burnt to the ground. Well, the churches were elated. The atheist wasn't. And imagine how he felt when his his insurance company informed him that they couldn't pay for the, the claim Because it was an act of God. Well, the outcome of the story is that the owner took the two two churches to court to sue them for damages, which they then claimed they weren't responsible for. In his final ruling on the case, the presiding judge said, and I quote, This is the most perplexing case I have ever sat on, 
Because on one hand, I have an atheist who claims to believe in the power of prayer. And on the other hand, I have two churches that don't. (laughs) I love that story. You see, it, it gets so close to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? Like that prayer meeting that took place the night when Peter was in jail. They were praying, oh Lord, release him. And God does, and the angel releases him, and he comes and he's knocking on the door, and they don't believe it. This is so often how we pray. We pray, but we don't expect God to act. We don't expect anything to change. But we have to change something about ourselves and our attitude and our fervency when we pray. That when we pray for our land, when we pray for our, le- for our leaders, we must believe that God will act, that things will change. And we must pray for our leaders with as much expectancy as we can possibly muster and trust that God can and will guide them according to his will, whether they acknowledge him personally or not. So what can we do? Well, we must take God's word seriously. And secondly, we must pray with expectancy. And the final thing we must do is engage. We must engage the world around us. As Christians, we cannot and should not remain only in our prayer closets, churches, or holy huddles. We always start there. We start in this place of worship. We start in the prayer closet, but we cannot stay there. We must go out from there and engage the world around us. And this will look different for everyone in the ways in which you engage your world. But whether you're talking with your neighbors, volunteering at Bayside, or at the food bank, or on the Halloween food drive, or with the refugee families, or with coaching a sports team, or with Meals on Wheels, or with Donor's Choice, or at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp, or serving municipally, or in the public schools, or in the Christian schools, or in the Food Grains Project, or with Habitat for Humanity, or with Christian Camps International, or sponsoring a child, or writing your MPs or MLAs about issues that you care about, or, 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 the list can go on and on. There are endless opportunities with which and in which we can engage the world around us. The, the list, uh, we could keep going for a long time. And these are the ways that we are called to be the salt and light influence that Jesus has called the church to be. We are the salt and the light. We are, we are the thing that even when the world is saying we're going against God, we're not acknowledging him. No, we acknowledge him. We hold him up. And as we live that out in different ways in the world around us, God sees that, he uses that, and he can bring about his purposes through it. And so the bottom line is this. Don't just lament the fact that Canada is not living under God's rule the way it did 150 years ago. Don't shrug your shoulders as though it doesn't affect you either. Or don't, especially don't throw in the towel as though there's nothing you can do about it. It affects every last one of us, and there is something we can do about it. But we must have the courage to not hide in the shadows, but to engage the culture around us. A man by the name of Fatim Crisco, speaking at a prayer rally on Parliament Hill on Ottawa, said this, Every generation and every nation has had righteous radicals for God. These were mighty men and women who laid down their lives to see righteousness established in their generation and in their nation. Canada is no different. Our history is full of heroes of the faith who forged rough terrain 
persevered long voyages, endured brutal persecution, and overcame intense spiritual warfare for the sake of the kingdom of God in this land. These ones sacrificed to see the gospel of Jesus Christ advanced and his name honored at various stages of this nation's growth. It's time to reclaim the righteous foundations laid by generations past. Today I know that God is still looking for a generation who will rise up and reclaim the godly foundation of the dominion of Canada. Because today, no matter what men may say, this is a secular nation. God has no place here any longer. I say Jesus Christ is still the Lord of this land from sea to sea to sea. And that is why I resolve, so long as God puts breath in my lungs, I will not stop praying for revival to come to this land. I will not stop speaking the truth of God so long as he gives me an opportunity and a platform. And I will not stop engaging with the culture around me with every opportunity the Lord brings my way. Because I believe that through my part, I can make a difference. And I believe that if you play your part, you can make a difference. And I believe that if we together play our part, we will make a greater difference than we can imagine. Because that is how God has wired the church to work. We are stronger when we work together, each one of us, doing our part. And so if you would resolve to do the same today, to continue to intercede on behalf of the nation of Canada, to continue to do your part in being salt and light so that God can work in this land, I would invite you to stand with me and let's pray together as we close. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that you are Lord of Canada. This is your dominion. And today, Lord, we also acknowledge that we see many who are turning away from you in this land. We see how you have been removed from this land and our governments in so many different ways. And we wonder, when will, when will it stop? But Father, we also know that you have called us, your people, your church, to stand in the gap to pray for our leaders, to intercede, and to not give up, to not throw in the towel, to not shrug our shoulders and say, there's nothing I can do. But Lord, even as darkness increases, the light can shine brighter. And so I pray, Lord, that each one of us today would resolve to do our part. Whether it seems great or small to us makes no matter. It's what you have called us to do that matters. And so I pray, Lord, that as each one of us does our part, And as this church does its part in the vast scheme of things, we know that you will use it for your glory and your purposes. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to be merciful to this nation. We acknowledge that your mercy and patience is not a blessing on how we're living, but instead is unto mercy so that we can turn and repent and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so I pray, Lord, that today, would be a great step towards many more coming to know you as Lord and Savior. Use us, we pray. We are yours to command. In Jesus' name, amen.